I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. You've just tuned in to Rebel Wellness, the podcast that's here to revolutionize your approach to personal health and well-being. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales, and I'm thrilled to have you join our Rebel community. In a world that's saturated with fleeting diet trends and unrealistic beauty standards, we believe it's time for serious change. Our mission is simple yet profound, to empower women like you to break free from the confines of today's diet culture and embrace a holistic approach to health that's sustainable for the long haul. If you're like me, you're here to embrace the concept that true well-being encompasses every facet of your life, mind, body, and soul. Rebels believe in aligning our journey with our individual needs and values because a one-size-fits-all approach just simply doesn't cut it anymore. This podcast is your safe space to explore the depths of wellness guided by myself, experts, real life stories, and genuine commitment to your growth. You're here to begin your transformative journey, and it's time to discover your own version of balance in your health. Every week when you tune into Rebel Wellness, we'll learn, grow, and rebel against the polarizing outdated norms to finally achieve lasting vitality and joy. Because that sounds pretty great, right? Your journey starts now, and I am so excited that you're here. Welcome back, Rebel. I am happy you have joined us again on the show. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you are a frequent listener, hello, you again. I'm so happy that you are returning consistently, and I hope you are enjoying the show and the direction we are going. I am always open to episode topics that you guys would like to hear my take on, so don't feel shy. Please throw me any ideas on our Instagram at Rebel Wellness Podcast or at Kaylee Loren, my signature page on Instagram. <laughs> Feel free to throw out any ideas to me. They are always welcome. There are no dumb questions. And we are also just fielding questions for our little new section of the episodes where we want to answer your specific unique wellness questions, any area, fitness, nutrition, mindset, whatever you want to ask me about, ask away, and I will answer it just like you'll hear later in this episode. And you've been hearing last several episodes of the new year. So I hope you guys have been enjoying 2024 so far. I know for myself, it has been a exciting year. It's been a challenge for me mentally, because I think I might have told you guys that a huge goal for me is to try and be a lot more present this year, take better care of myself. You know, things got away from me, honestly, last year. And I kind of wanted to start this episode today talking a little bit about just some raw, vulnerable sides to my life to hopefully relate to you so that you understand that even those of us who have lots of good experience and knowledge also still struggle. <laughs> And learn, you know, I'm constantly learning on my own. And that's what helps me be a better coach for you. Because you don't want to be coached by somebody who doesn't know, like firsthand what they're talking about, right? Or at least most of the time. And it was science, there's a lot of things where it's like, we're just the brains filtering and translating the information for you. But when it comes to real life stuff, and there's, you know, so many things lately, and all the topics that I talk about are so real that I only like to share stuff that I have firsthand experience on. So I will always own up when I didn't take my own advice properly or I'm learning. You know, 
know, I'm not sure how I would phrase it differently than that other than, yeah, girl, totally just kind of neglected herself last year. <laughs> I would say I did a good job in some areas, but I will say my flop of last year was definitely the latter half of last year, like July until December. And not in a way where I didn't take care of my mental health or some of my foundational health habits that I've talked to you guys a lot about, like my sleep, generally my food, you know, but I did flop on my movement. Um, that's the area that I feel like I want to come clean on because I want to give you the example of what happens um, when you kind of neglect an area of your foundations for too long. So for me, probably yeah, like June, July, I kind of got into this habit where things in life were too hard to juggle. So for a lot of you who don't know where I am, I currently relocated to California. I originally moved back and I lived in like South Bay area, which is like South, it's the Silicon Valley. <laughs> a lot of people around the US know what Silicon Valley is in California. And I lived there for just long enough to get some clients that I really love and care about. And then I moved my butt out to Monterey Bay, the beautiful Monterey Bay, California. And this is like where I want to be. This is what feels like home. This is a, the pace that I want. You know, I was living in Portland, Oregon for a long time, much different pace than freaking Silicon Valley. So when we moved out and bought our home here, it meant that I had to either commute back to my clients that I had over in South Bay or cut them off. And at the time it was like a no brainer for me. You know, I'm going to keep them in my commute. It's, it's worth it for me. You know what I mean? And I freaking love every single one of them. And that's honestly the hardest part of in-person coaching and training is that you just build really strong relationships and that you just love everybody. And it's, it's really hard to prioritize yourself when you want to continue to take care of other people. But if you don't know how long this commute is, you're, you're like, Kales, I'm not from California. I have no idea. You've probably seen how big California is and how like long in general it is. And for perspective, I commute 70 miles a day there. I commute around maybe 50 miles to and from clients' houses, and then I commute another 70 miles back home. So that is roughly three, three and a half hours of driving just in the commute. It's like an hour 15 one way, an hour 45 the way home because it's commute hour <laughs> when I go home. So needless to say, it has been hard for me on those days to muster the energy to work out. And I also have a puppy. And when I'm just stuck with him because my fiance is a firefighter and he goes on duty and that means he stays at the station when he's on duty, it means that all of those duties go on me. And I'm just painting you guys a picture right now so you kind of understand. <laughs> then I do all the rest of the stuff for my business, you know, and I take care of my other clients that are out here in the area and my virtual clients. And so for me, this is a complicated situation because then it made it easy for me to backseat my personal fitness. I didn't have the energy for it a lot of the times. I also just didn't have the time for it as I've gotten into my, I'm 30 now, as I got into this chapter of my life, I do not like working out anytime later than 4 p.m. Like if it's 4 p.m., I'm done. I'm just going to go do a good hike or a walk outside with my dog. I'll do some stretching, you know, but I just do not feel like weightlifting at night. It's just like not going to happen. Whereas before I'm like, how did I even go to like 
the downtown 24-hour fitness in Portland at 7 p.m. after an entire day of college. I have no idea the energy. It's it's definitely different. <laughs> Something about hitting the 30s. All that to say, I literally for half a year got maybe one to two lifts in a week. I think there might have been one rare week where I got like three. And that is coming from somebody who used to go to the gym three to five times a week. Like and not be hardcore, but just consistent, right? And what I didn't realize was happening, I was eating the same amount of calories and like energy consumption that I usually would if I was weightlifting because my metabolism was still high, but I wasn't moving as much. And guys, what does that equation equate to? (laughs) What comes of that habit? Um, Weight gain. So I put on roughly three to four pounds of fat in that last half year. And it's not something that I'm kicking myself on. It's something that I'm reminding myself is exactly what happens when things just slowly slip out of hand. And not in a way to be afraid of it, but just in a way to be real about it. So it made me realize when I reflected on it, like what could I have done differently? Not that I'm mad that I put on fat, more just in a way that it wasn't my goal because I had spent the last two years fortunately staying within the same two to three pounds of weight, like I was exact same weight, fluctuating lightly for two, maybe three years. And this is the first time I've gone above my usual little hover zone. And for me, then I was like, okay, what did I not do the same? And for me, that was for sure the lack of movement, strength training. And I don't even have to do at this point hardcore weightlifting to maintain a good metabolism and a good amount of muscle because I have muscle maturity. And that's the benefit of weightlifting consistently for years and years and years is your muscles hang out, they hang around, and they are easier to keep there and to bring back because you've already done it before. That's just the fortunate science of muscle tissue. That's why it's so important to maintain and keep around. And you really don't have to go that hard in the paint to maintain it, honestly. The hardest part is putting it on initially, but it just depends on how much you want to put on. You know, you don't have to put on a ton. Anyways, all that to say, it's really important that when you go through phases similar to like what I did and you put on weight, you don't get down on yourself and be pissed off and then be like, where's the quickest fix for this situation? I messed up or something like that. It's more so reflect on what got away from you. What influenced your lifestyle? Were you trying to juggle too many balls at once for too long? You know, because I encourage a lot of my clients and I practice for myself, like when I do have too many balls that I'm juggling in the air, I have to put one down or two down. And they usually are things that are more accessory to my health foundations than necessary. But it's with the idea that I'm only putting that ball down for a month or two, maybe three. This was six months, (laughs) six plus months. And that was too many months. So I let myself keep that ball of weight training or exercising more specifically in general off to the side too much. I was walking a lot, but that wasn't enough. You know what I mean? So, and then I let like goodies, like sweets and stuff get in my routine a little too frequently as well. And so I was having a little bit of extra excess carbohydrate sugars, you know, more than I usually do. And I wasn't burning it. So that's the perfect recipe for putting on a slow, slow increase in body fat. And it happens to a lot of us. And a lot of times we don't catch it. And that's where kind of consistently 
tracking yourself at least every couple weeks or so on the same Sunday or something like that is a good way to see like, are you in a energy surplus? Like, are you consistently consuming more than you should? And is your weight slowly creeping up because of it? Or are you staying at the same exact weight? Or are you losing weight? You know what I mean? It's all data. It's just straight up data. And so I hope that hearing that kind of story helps you like humanize (laughs) me and other um, fitness coaches, nutritionists, you know, all that jazz, because it's so important that you understand that we deal with it too. And especially for me, I like the fact that at this point in my life, I can come to these crossroads where I did put on unwanted excess body fat. And now I'm just reflecting and I'm going to work on it and change that. But what that means is I have to make shifts in my lifestyle. And it has to be things that are not as comfortable as the routine I landed in. Because obviously the comfortable routine led to me gaining weight and being less healthy. So now I have to look at my schedule, look at how I'm operating, cut out things or cut back things that are not supporting me. And it might suck. And some of it is definitely going to suck. But at the same time, more so in a way that it's just uncomfortable or conversations I don't want to have to have, but I need to, or, you know, different ships like that. And so that's what I wanted to share with you in the beginning of this episode, guys, because today is a replay. It is a shorter episode. I wanted to give you guys a replay of my best tips for muscle growth for females specifically, because there's so many of you going into the gym, finally starting to weight lift for the first time, or You've been weightlifting for a while, but you aren't quite sure why you're not building muscle. So I wanted to give a little replay from last year of one of my episodes all about that, because I think it's really important for you to understand a lot more of like what I just shared and talked about, but how you can apply that to gaining muscle and having a little more focus and direction in the gym so that you can achieve that metabolic action that I and missing and trying to get back from my own routine, failing at going to the gym consistently. And it is important to note that like for me, what am I doing? I'm not being like, all right, my ass is back in the gym five days a week. No, I'm going back to at least I'm hitting three full body workouts a week with weights. And then I'm going to increase it to four again. And maybe I'll sprinkle in a five here and there. But my routine doesn't really need to have five anymore, especially because I walk so much with my dog. I really would like to hit three to four full body workouts a week, you know what I mean? Or two uppers and two lowers. Those are the ways that I like to think about it. So maybe that's a way that you can think about your workouts. But I hope that all these tips today in this episode, if you've never listened to this episode before, it was one of our earlier episodes. I hope that it gives you some good knowledge and reflection for your own routine and maybe inspires you to get into the gym and weightlift. So without further ado, let's hop into this episode and stay tuned for our question of the day. Okay, so the order of progression, I'm going to kind of give this common mistake that I see, and then I'm going to talk you through the best solutions. Mistake number one is simply not eating enough calories. And this one is always very challenging for a lot of us to get into our head because Pretty much almost all of us have kind of lived in a diet mindset potentially our entire life or our entire adulthood. That comes with the fact that 
if you think that you should never exceed 2000 calories because you're going to gain too much weight if you eat more than that, that is the indoctrination that you were taught not to eat enough. That is just an arbitrary number that basically our government put together to generalize nutrition labels for the average human. Obviously, that has changed so much even in the last several decades, what the average human looks like or should eat like. And there's such a large spectrum of so many people that should be eating nearly 3,000 calories a day and will never put on an ounce of fat. So if that kind of blows your mind from the first part, listen in. You should be well-fed, especially as a woman. Our bodies need a lot more calories than we think, and I would argue that a lot of our diseases and symptoms and challenges that we face more nowadays are due to the fact that we have been taught to chronically undereat. This is detrimental to any progress with adding muscle to your body because you simply cannot build something without something to build from. So you can't build a house without enough supplies and materials to build said house. Same thing goes for food. Food is the energy and the ability to build actual molecules that create muscle. And without getting too sciencey, your body needs enough of these nutrients to also recover your muscle that's already there. And yes, you do have muscle. If you can stand, you have muscle. <laughs> our muscle is literally what makes our bones able to become erect. So we won't be able to do anything without muscle. A lot of people don't think they have abs. We all have abs, whether or not they're defined and strong depends on your body fat percentage. And that's it. It doesn't mean you don't have them at all. So what is the solution to knowing if you're not having enough calories? If you have a hard time staying asleep, getting asleep, if you have a highly stressful job, if you've tracked your food, which I highly recommend this for anybody, track your food on something like MyFitnessPal for like just a week, as perfect as you can, and see how many calories you're eating. And also look at the macronutrient split. So what that means is are you consuming a lot of fat and carbs and not enough protein? You know, there's a, that's typically what we see, especially for, I would say, almost every single client I've ever coached with nutrition. I have always seen them amazed by like, oh, I totally thought I was eating more than that. Or, oh, I totally thought that I was eating like more balanced for my macros, you know? So that's really eye-opening. Highly recommend you try that at least for a week and see where you land. And that's going to also help you understand where your metabolism is at. Oftentimes, if you are an adult woman and you're eating under 1,650 calories a day, you are underfed. I would argue that probably if you're eating under 1,800 calories a day and you're a relatively active person as far as like walking or you go to the gym or you have some classes or you do Pelotons, you know, et cetera, you probably are completely under eating and your body, including things like your thyroid and your adrenal glands are probably stressed because you're not fueling yourself enough. Eating more calories does not always equate that you're going to gain more weight. I know that the common jargon that goes around all the time in especially the dieting culture is eat less, move more or calories in, calories out. That's pretty much a really... <laughs> toxic concept for a lot of us females who are just kind of like constantly in diet mode because that's how we end up living our life is we're just in this weird energy equation in our heads. Am I constantly eating under what I expended today? And a lot of the times we don't even actually know what our individual body is truly burning and we're just guessing and under eating 
for years, for years and years and years. So best thing you can do other than just logging and learning where you're at is understanding your total daily energy expenditure. And you can pair this concept with how many calories you're eating when you log your day-to-day on MyFitnessPal and get a huge wake-up call of whether or not you're eating enough. So the equation for your total daily energy expenditure is going to be something called NEAT, EAT, TEF, and BMR. NEAT is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, so that's how many calories you're burning passively in the day. Moving from room to room, standing, sitting, walking around, all of that is NEAT. EAT is exercise activity thermogenesis, so that's what you do when you go do a Peloton ride, when you go to your yoga class, when you go to the gym to lift, whatever it is, that would be EAT. TEF is thermic effect of food. We don't really care about this one too much because it's kind of nominal in this equation. Um, It's basically how much does the thermogenesis increase the calorie burn in your body based off of what foods you eat. But again, this is kind of very sciencey. We don't really kind of keep track of that, but it is still part of this equation. Um, And the BMR, so that's your basal metabolic rate. That's how many calories you're burning at rest. If you were just a potato sitting on your couch, that'd be how many calories you burn. Across the board, I would say for majority of my clients, especially ones who actually got um, an in-body scan or any type of body fat scan that also measured their lean body mass, uh, pretty much every female from kind of all different shapes and sizes are burning between 1,250 calories to 1,600 calories in their BMR. So that's just existing. That's a baseline. So you land somewhere in there most likely. That's already pretty much 1600 calories, right? So if you are eating under that, you're going far under because we didn't even equate in any of your non-exercise activity or your exercise activity. And then once you have that number, you're going to want to add 200 to 400 calories more if your goal is growth, because you need to be in a surplus to actually grow and gain muscle. Sometimes a little bit of fat gain is involved in that. That is just normal. You have to get comfortable with the fact that if you're going to grow, you do sometimes have to put on body fat. And oftentimes I see this happen more so because a lot of clients have been chronically under eating. So get comfortable with the expectation that if your goal is to add on muscle, you will have to grow all around how you do it and which macros you consume in what ratios has a huge influence on Do you just put on a bunch of body fat or do you actually dominantly put on muscle? That brings me into mistake number two, not eating enough protein specifically. So protein as the macronutrient and the right amount of protein. So kind of taking back to that last total daily energy expenditure, when you figure out those calories you need for the day, this is going to be important for you to explore, again, using some sort of tool like MyFitnessPal, where it can guide you through certain macronutrient goals for the day. If you don't use something like that, a general rule of thumb is that you should be eating 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of lean body mass. An issue I see a lot of people kind of misguide people on is they say, eat a gram of protein per pound of body weight. And that totally does not work for most people that exceed 190 pounds. That's an insane amount of protein to eat. And if the goal is to preserve and grow lean body mass, such as muscle, 
you don't need that much protein to consume it against excess body fat. So if you're somebody who has a large amount of excess body fat, that's not going to be helpful for you. So don't follow that rule. Follow understanding where your lean body mass is and times it by essentially 0.8 to 1.2. For layman's terms or just for kind of a shortcut, I generally would say for most females, aim for anywhere between 100 to 150 or 160 grams of protein daily, depending on your muscle goal and how much appetite you also have as well. But I really wouldn't go under 100 grams when you're trying to grow. And I constantly see so many females under eating protein. It is usually the main reason they are not growing more muscle. They can be working so hard in the gym, but if they're not eating enough and the right source, you're not going to see growth because the body just literally can't if it doesn't have, again, the building blocks to create the muscle fibers and to recover them, etc. But that also brings me to reminding you or maybe teaching you that there is such a thing as incomplete protein sources and complete protein sources. So peanut butter is not a protein. No matter how it's marketed, I don't know why it has been marketed so highly as protein. It's a fat source. It can become more of a protein source when they like dehydrate it and condense it down. But oftentimes, it's still not a complete amino acid complex, which is what equates whether or not it's a complete protein or an incomplete. Incomplete proteins are missing the nine essential amino acids required by the body to be consumed to create muscle. So there's 21 amino acids that are involved in protein synthesis. 11 of them can be made by our body on its own through different food sources, etc., and different processes and systems on its own. Nine of them have to be consumed from our food. And this is where it gets a little challenging for people who don't consume animal proteins or animal sources because those are the most complete protein right out the gate. So just knowing that if you are somebody who does not consume animal sources of protein, you're going to have a harder time putting on muscle without being extremely intentional about combining foods to complete the amino acid complex every day. And if you're eating incomplete sources in imbalances throughout the day, those grams on the labels are not going to add up the same as a complete protein. So it's really important to better understand that you have to combine different foods to actually get the complete grams. So in order to create a complete protein out of incomplete proteins, you're going to have to take multiple foods with different amino acids of plant-based or wherever your sources are coming from and add those together to create a complete protein for your body to have all of those nine essential amino acids in your stomach to start protein synthesis. This is something that can be complicated because a lot of the times on the back of plant-based protein sources, they'll say 20 grams of protein. However, because it's not all going to be completed in the ratios that your body needs, you might actually only be absorbing like 10 grams of actual complete protein. So this is where it can be complicated should you be plant-based versus omnivore. Not that one thing is right or wrong. It's just important to understand that you might not be eating enough protein. Therefore, your body cannot simply build any more muscle or maintain your current muscle because you are under eating it 
and overexerting yourself in the gym. Because every time we go to the gym, we're tearing our muscles apart. That's why we get sore. And our body's adaptation is to make them stronger and larger. And this is necessary to be well-fed and have enough protein. If you don't get those in, if you don't check those boxes, you just tore your muscle apart and a lot of it could get expelled through the body because it is no longer fulfilled with enough nourishment because our body does break down muscle to create more protein for other systems in the body because it's not simply only for muscle and it will utilize your muscle to access more of those amino acids from the essential amino acids because it cannot create those nine amino acids on its own. So this is where muscle wasting tends to come in as well. So be aware of that, especially if you're lifting very heavy and under eating your protein in its complete sense. So hopefully that wasn't too confusing because I know this topic can be like, what? Because especially nowadays, we don't really talk about this concept But in the world of fitness and muscle building and metabolism, this is something that every expert knows and it's not arguable, essentially. So it's really important that you understand that just, again, so you can set your expectations. And adding muscle, I'm also going to add in as a solution for this issue. If you are somebody who is maybe is plant-based or was plant-based, your body depletes its stores of nutrients over time, especially if it's been deprived of certain certain nutrient sources and sometimes it's important to understand that you are the master of your body you can pick and choose seasons so if you're in a season where you need to grow muscle depending on where you are spiritually with your choice it could be worth your health and your goal of growth to not spin your wheels and maybe just start adding in some complete protein sources from whatever animal protein sources make you feel comfortable. That's something that's really important to understand that sometimes our health isn't as dogmatic as food choices we make. And I know that this can sometimes be a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, but it's really important to understand that you can go through seasons where you reincorporate animal proteins to heal your body, replenish those stores, shift back into plant-based, find your balance, whatever works for you. But it's really important to understand that no matter what, Symptoms will show up after time when you deprive a body from certain nutrient sources that are essential for you. And if you have fallen short on your journey in the past of being intentional and understanding how to support that food choice, it's totally okay if you need to adjust to protect your health, okay? That's simply what I'm talking about is putting that in the forefront of your mentality around your longevity and the way that essentially you can show up for yourself and your community. All right, now it's time for the listener question of the day portion of the episode where I answer a question that you guys send me that is in the health category. So today's question is from Vanessa and she asks, Is it true that obesity is genetic? Oh my goodness, this is a really good question. This is a really popular one, especially of the quote-unquote research that came out earlier in 2023 regarding obesity as a genetic thing. So this is a really 
interesting polarizing topic. Okay. So I like to come at a lot of these things with a balanced approach. I like to make sure that I see both sides as best as I can. Right. So when we are talking about factors that can make fat gain and fat sustainability, like holding on to fat, a genetic situation, you're going to see that in a couple different ways. The first way that we do see that is in these really interesting anomalies where some people's bodies metabolically are weirdly coding to deposit fat no matter what. And um, some of you might have heard me talk about a book called The Secret Life of Fat, but that book is a really great resource for these interesting scenarios where some people have had a genetic mutation or they got a disease that actually spiked this DNA mutation that altered their metabolism to either holding on to body fat stubbornly or gaining it rapidly without having any sort of stereotypical reason. So extreme excess amount of calories, right? Those are really rare cases. They don't happen very often. They are not commonplace. Okay. So that's a whole different situation and category. If you want to learn more about it, read The Secret Life of Fat. It's fascinating. Okay. The other part of that category where this could be true is genetically, we pass on things to the next generation. This looks like gut bacteria situations, and we already know the intricacies of gut health and how it can make you code and deposit excess calories more from carbohydrates if you have more of this or that bacteria. And people who have morbid obesity, again, using scientific terms, are in a category where their gut health almost always has a higher amount of these specific bad bacteria, quote unquote, in comparison to the good bacteria or the healthier bacteria. So they've even tested it in the way where they do fecal transplants. It sounds gross. I know I'm sure you guys didn't expect me to talk about <laughs> feces in this, but your fecal matter contains a lot of your gut bacteria and a lot of the picture of what's going on in your gut. This is why it's important to get a fecal test, not an intolerance test, if you're trying to figure out if you have a gut situation. Anyways, on that same note, they put fecal matter from healthy individuals with a healthy BMI and body fat percentage into a obese person and it improved their gut bacteria and it improved therefore their body composition. So they lost fat. Fascinating. Wow. You know what I mean? Very interesting. <laughs> so they're trying to study that more and more, but the situation is not entirely that your DNA is coding for you to be putting on body fat out of your control. It's more so that you inherited the gut bacteria from your mom and your mom didn't have good bacteria and then her mom didn't have good bacteria. So then you see this kind of genetic predisposition for bad gut bacteria because of that situation where, I mean, because we gain the intestinal gut bacteria, intestinal flora from our parents, our mom, but our dad actually can influence it by his bacteria in the household. Honestly, gut bacteria is fascinating and, I, and it would be like a whole tangent. It'll be a very soon episode. We're going to be talking to some specialists this year, which is great, but stay tuned for those. But anyways, all that to say, it becomes more of the situation of you're getting the bacteria in the gut, which determines how you process food and, and um, assimilate it, utilize it, store it or not, or just pass it. And 
that can come from your parents. But it's not necessarily that you have a DNA situation where your body just puts on fat like crazy. The caveat, again, is there are some genetic backgrounds who have adapted over centuries, like Samoans, where they live in a situation where they go from feast and famine because they live on an island. So they put on a lot of body fat in one season, and then they basically go through those stores over the next season when they are in more of a famine, they don't have enough food and it's cyclical like that. It becomes problematic when there are no more famines. And so that's why we do see a lot of health issues for Polynesians, specifically ones tied to the Samoan genetic background. And there are several other genetic backgrounds dispersed amongst the world that have that, but that is not the common situation again for most people. So the other situation is you groom, quote unquote, your gut bacteria based off your environment. So again, when I answer a lot of people who have asked me this question, the common denominator is always the environment. What were you raised on? What were you raised around? What habits did you establish? And it's definitely not sexy. And I know a lot of people like to just believe and write off their responsibility for their health by just saying, I'm just genetically disposed to being obese or morbidly obese. But unfortunately, the learned habits of the foods you eat paired with the gut bacteria you were born with and that you feed daily, you're usually eating exactly what your parents eat and their parents, you know. And so unfortunately, if it's a trajectory of worse and worse quality foods, more and more processed foods, higher sugar, you know, you're hurting your DNA and your genetics more each generation forward because you are continuing the cycle of the bad gut and the habits that continue to support fat gain and fat maintenance, etc. So long story short-ish, long question short, it usually always comes down to what are the habits? What is the environment that was exampled for you? Do you still partake in those habits? Because there are definitely a lot of people who had unhealthy families and upbringings who discovered they enjoyed a healthier lifestyle, do not live with their family anymore, maybe went off to college. I have a few friends in mind that this happened and they live on their own in a whole different state now and they've maintained healthier bodies, gotten to a better composition because they changed their environment and their food. <laughs> it comes down a lot to the food and movement, you know? So unfortunately it is not, it's trending towards not true that a lot of people are just obese because of their genetics. I wish I could say otherwise-ish because <laughs> I know that it kind of helps some people feel like less responsibility over their health probably. I don't know. But unfortunately, from the professional health standpoint I come from and the research I've done and the experience I've had in it, that is where I land. So I hope that that's helpful for you to better understand it and know that they always say genetics load the gun, your lifestyle pulls the trigger. And that is almost always true because there's a lot of really cool, but very sciencey physiology that comes into how your lifestyle impacts the way your genetic plays out, your genetics play out. Okay. So thank you, Vanessa. That's a really good question. Really hard to keep that one short, but I hope that that was helpful for you guys. And again, if you'd like to submit a question to me, go ahead and submit it to app rebel wellness podcast on instagram and i will answer them on the next episode all right back to the show
shifting back now. Mistake number three that I always see is not challenging your muscles enough to a capacity that makes them grow. This I see all the time in the gym. Usually, especially in anyone who's never worked with a trainer or in a group class that has somebody kind of coaching them. It's so easy to not actually understand the threshold of where our body is truly challenged or where our mind is challenged. And this is something that they kind of push the boundaries in, especially for like military training, for like the SEALs. They push them past where their brain is like, I'm going to give up. We have these mechanisms in our body that are survival techniques really to keep us able to push really hard, but not so hard that we're completely gassed out just in case something triggers fight or flight and we need to access adrenaline and energy again. This is why it's in place. There's something like, I think we only utilize 40 to 50% of our actual capability of energy systems in certain moments at a time just to preserve that potential necessity. So with that said, a lot of us only access maybe 20% of our actual challenge point. This is where being a trainer has kind of been fun because a lot of times I will watch clients when they're working out on their own, just kind of pick up the 15s again. And I'll be like, "Mm, let's go with the 20. Let's go with the 22. Let's go with the 25. And they'll be like, what? Are you serious? And I'm like, do it. And then they do it. And they're like, holy cow, I had no idea I was that strong. Do know too, it's pretty much impossible for females to become bulky without trying really hard for really long. It's kind of like assuming that you'll pick up a weight and become a bodybuilder. And those people train for years and years and years and often take different things like steroids and testosterone supplementation, etc., to get that large. If you think you could just lift heavy weights for a few days and get big and bulky like that, uh, it's kind of insulting to them in a way, you know what I mean? Because they work so hard to get that large and it's something they truly want. A lot of us don't really want to get super large and kind of um, more of the masculine energy. That's something where you have to also understand just challenging your body with heavier weights and pushing it further does not directly equate suddenly becoming super masculine. And if we're being honest, that term is literally what most of us females are trying to avoid with when they call it bulky. That's pretty much what they're saying. And I'm just going to say it like as it is, because that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. And some people do want to look more like that. However, majority of females I've encountered don't. And that's what they get all afraid. And they're like, I could never touch heavier than 12s. And I'm like, please try it. You're holding yourself back by not doing heavier. So the solution for this is trying to progressively overload with your workouts. This means every week, increase your weights by 5% or so. Sometimes I go by a rule of with certain movements, go up five to 10 pounds every two or three workouts or do the percentage thing. If you want to do the math, a lot of the times it just kind of works better with going with like the five to 10 pounds. Um, If you're squatting, back squatting with a barbell, five pound increments can be really exhausting and hard to kind of move up on. And if you're hip thrusting, a lot of times you can work up 10, 20 pounds every week and make significant gains because that's one of those movements that you can increase the weight faster really impressively. And 
just know. And then if it's like, if you're doing a back, like a single arm row with a dumbbell, go up two and a half pounds every few weeks or so. And those are good ways to push the envelope and continue to grow. Sometimes you hit a wall and that's a good sign to either kind of give yourself a deload day, like every four to five weeks or so, give yourself a week, either where you take the week off or some of those days off, or you scale it down to like 50% of your expenditure or intensity rather. And then the next week go back up again. Sometimes it's really important for us to give our bodies some space and then challenge the muscles again. I'd say kind of for this mistake, something I see people doing is overtraining. So doing too much all the time, not giving their body any rest, and also not challenging their muscles to a capacity to grow by not pushing heavier weights and not putting themselves in the position where it is more exhausting, you know, where you kind of want to give up and then you do one or two more. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say that, like get to where you want to quit and do two more. And again, trust me, this technique is not going to make you bulky. There are so many women I could just personally DM you photos of who lift like 200 to 300 pounds and hip thrust 400 pounds and are that lean toned vibe that pretty much everybody is trying to achieve. So do not be afraid to challenge your muscles. They will not grow if you're still using the same weights you used like two or three months ago. They're not gonna, they're just not gonna adapt. They have nothing to adapt to. And with that comes in mistake number four, not following the right programming or always changing it up with your workouts. So there's kind of always been this weird phrase where it's like, you want to confuse the muscle and change up your workouts all the time. And this is okay for general fitness if you get bored or something like that. And it also applies to the fact that oftentimes some people do only the same routine for multiple years and you kind of should be changing your programming maybe every three or four months, depending on what your goals are. But if you're looking for muscle growth, you need to teach a muscle maturity. So that comes with time. So teaching a muscle maturity means that a muscle is going to be under tension for a certain amount of repetitions over time. With certain movement patterns, let's say a deadlift, you're going to want to do that deadlift, the same movement pattern, for multiple weeks, multiple months, increasing the weight so that muscle can grow. It's not going to be able to grow its best if you're constantly changing it up and like for two weeks you do deadlifts, for three weeks you do lunges, for four weeks you do back squats. You know, you can grow muscles, but they're not going to grow in a way where they get matured in that movement pattern and develop stronger. So again, a huge mistake I see a lot of people do is they don't follow any progressive programming when they have a goal of growing a certain muscle and they're always changing it up with their workouts and doing like too much variety. A lot of the times keeping it simple and increasing the volume. So how many repetitions under time under tension is how a muscle will adapt and grow. And so you don't really have to get that fancy. Fancy stuff is a little bit more for adding some variety to burn out a muscle at the end. But I do always recommend for those who have like glute growth goals to probably just stick to the major compound movements that will grow your glutes like hip thrusts and Bulgarian split squats, etc. 
and keep doing those and increasing the weight week to week as the meat and potatoes of your workout. Then throw in some kickbacks, throw in some frog pumps, throw in some, you know, different things like that are kind of like what you sprinkle on top. So just know that you don't need to just change it up. And this is also where like fitness classes, if you have a goal to grow better glutes and stuff, but you're showing up to Orange Theory three times a week, it's probably hindering your progress because again, you're doing a little too much and it's not progressively loading those muscles in like a heavier and heavier manner. So you're basically just kind of utilizing your muscles and doing a lot of cardio in those classes in a way that's not at the threshold to grow. And a lot of times it's common just kind of seeing a lot of people do a combination of these things. So a lot of times we're not eating enough, definitely not hitting the protein number. We're not challenging ourselves enough. And as far as exhausting the muscle to a capacity where it wants to grow in size. And then we're also kind of changing it up with workouts too much or doing too much cardio. And all of these things kind of combine together to make it really hard for your muscle to actually grow and show up with that size and muscle tone that we're looking for. I guess kind of on that, I would also add something I tend to see a lot of people add into their routine while they're trying to add lean muscle is too much cardio. So if you are somebody who's doing a lot of spin biking, like as in more than 30 minutes, more than two times a week or so, or running, especially cardio for long distance triggers something in the body that's called muscle pairing, where it actually inhibits your ability to grow more muscle because your body wants to be really careful about how much energy you're expending. And more lean muscle burns more calories at rest, which can become dangerous when you are also constantly expending energy from too much cardio. So your body's protective mechanism, so to speak, is to not let your body gain more lean muscle because it's going to be harder to keep you in a position where you're not basically starving to death. And again, if you're under eating your calories every day, doing a lot of cardio sessions and trying to weight lift, thinking you're going to be putting on lean muscle, you might not be because cardio might be kind of negating or taking over too much energy expenditure from what you're doing every single week. So again, kind of going back to that season concept, if you want to be in a season of muscle growth, you might have to reduce how much cardio you're doing shorten the time, turn it into LIS, which is called low intensity steady state cardio, or MISS, moderate intensity steady state cardio. Those two are going to be a little bit more non-triggering to this muscle pairing system that tends to occur when you're doing too much. You can actually use something like HIT, high intensity interval training, to get that cardiovascular benefit from cardio as well as maintain lean muscle mass. However, going back to my episode five about HIT will be really important because there's also a lot of mistakes people make and they think they're doing HIT. Like again, Orange Theory is not a HIT class. It's far too long to be a true HIT class. HIT should really not exceed maybe 15 to 20 minutes maximum. So definitely check that episode out. It's a great one and it's very insightful as well. But overall, I hope that all of these different kind of mistakes 
if you felt like, oh, I'm personally victimized by Kales right now, <laughs> it's okay. It's been me for every single one of those in my past. And it's probably almost every single one of my clients when they first meet me and we work together. It's something that by design with the way that we talk about the female body and how women have really not cared to put on muscle the way we do now. It's very new. It's pretty much only been since like the 70s or so that large amounts of females have decided I'm going to put on some significant muscle. I want to be strong. I want very large developed glutes, you know, and these things are not quite as easy as just doing several squats a day with 12 pound weights. So if any of that blew your mind, (laughs) I'd love to uh, hear about it and share this episode with somebody you think needs to hear these kind of tips as well. As always, step into your strength and I hope you walk with confidence, especially even more so after all of this chat. And I would love to hear your feedback or throw us a five stars if you're listening on Spotify and cheers to your muscle growth. I will catch you on another episode next Sunday here at Rebel Wellness. If you are still listening, thank you for tuning in to our latest episode of Rebel Wellness. If you've been enjoying our conversations around health, fitness, and wellness, I have some exciting news for you. So if you would love to join our newsletter group, You can join us on coachkales.com or you can join my Stan store at stan.store backslash kales, K-A-I-L-E-S. And that's an awesome opportunity for you to snag some freebies that I've created, including a macro hack grocery list that is going to help you kind of design a custom grocery list, especially for following macronutrients, because as you know, If you didn't listen to my macros in May series, I would go back to those episodes because it has been a game changer for so many of our listeners for getting more on top of how to shape their physique and their health goals with the food they're eating. So don't sleep on that. Go get your free download, S-T-A-N, like Stan the man, stan.store backslash kills. And you can also join our newsletter from that. And if you would like to reach out to me, chat, maybe work together, you can also contact me through my website, coachkales.com. And I would absolutely love you to join our Rebel Wellness Podcast Instagram, which is at Rebel Wellness Podcast. And you can also join my flagship coaching page at Coach by Kales. That's where it all began. That's where I share the most um, kind of custom to what I do work on specifically with my clients on that page. So join that one. It's all feminine wellness focused and I share some great stuff, some goofy stuff, things that you just don't want to miss as well as healthy recipes and things and easy recipes because we all kind of need some easy grab and go things, don't we? So I would love you to join both those pages as you'll be joining a community of like-minded females who are all committed to living their best lives. So hit that follow button. And I would love if you felt the need to share and rate our podcast. We would love that. Anyways, thanks for listening. And I hope to catch you next Sunday or say hello on the gram.